Hey, you're listening to John Gregory Vincent here with the Surfacing Inclusive Leadership Podcast. This is leadership I learned the hard way during my 14 years on submarines. After a Gallup gig, working for the best human behavioral organization in the world, I was ready to launch my coaching, advising, and training company, The Submarine Way. So hey, let's cast off all lines because we're getting underway, The Submarine Way. We have some folks around the submarine way think we're kind of nuts on uh, tackling this one. Entitled being how gun control could be negotiated successfully. You doubt it? Well, keep on listening. And not only will you learn a little bit about that topic, but like we always do, how this directly applies to you. And what you can do in your organization. In the U.S., there's no other topic, or very few topics, more polarizing than guns, gun ownership, gun use. Other countries just shake their head, uh, their proverbial heads, if you will, every time there's another mass shooting and we continue on a lack of action and a lack of indecision. And again, we're not going down a road here to talk about who's right, who's wrong. This is a direct correlation to things that come up the business. But let's stay, on, let's stay on gun control, what I prefer personally to call gun safety. You have one camp that any restriction at all, and I'm talking extremes now, well, you know, I'm going all the way to the corners here, uh, any, anything at all, right? Any program, any background check, any, it's all a slippery slope. And pretty soon they're going to be coming for your ammo, coming for your guns. I mean, so you, you can't touch anything. And you go to the other extreme. Well, you know, this is a simple problem to solve, and I'm talking again way over on the other other side of this, which is you know, everybody just has to turn in their guns. No guns at all. Even the cops. No need guns. You can't shoot somebody if you don't have one. So, you know, we'll just figure out a way to turn in 400 million guns because it's the right thing to do. And then we'll be, you know, and they will cite some country that, you know, so there you have it, right? So you think those folks are going to meet in the middle? No, they're too extreme. Okay? They're just simply too extreme. Our lack of clarity about putting ideas on the tables and looking for root causes and common ground. It, 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 it just doesn't exist. There's a lack of collaboration, all right? There's a lack of willingness. So these issues just keep churning with no re- resolution. And this happens in your organization all the time with some critical decisions. And it's bad when things don't get solved, just like the gun issue, regardless of where you are, it's not good. So I intimated in the subject line here that there's a way to get ideas on the table and negotiate the best solutions. Again, the title, how does gun control, how can it be successfully negotiated? And as we always do, how can can other tough issues in your organizations be negotiated? Well, in order to do this, you have to be willing to come to the table and willing to to be looking for a reasonable solution. This podcast is actually going to be in two parts. And the first, uh, the first part here, these are the two tangible tools that we're going to discuss so that you can use in your organization. One is interdependent collaboration. You know that's our definition of inclusion, right? Interdependent collaboration. Number two is you have to approach solutions 
without bias or preconceived ideas about what your solution looks like. And again, number two here, I'd understand that is a really tough thing to do to set your own personal bias aside and be open to the possibility that there's something that the other person is bringing to the table. In addition, you're going to hear about high conflict. And you might remember from a previous uh, podcast, we talked about high conflict. It's a, a book, High Conflict, by Amanda Ripley. And it's about how we get trapped and how we get out of that trap. And everywhere we look today, there are situations that seem to be high conflict. And high conflict can be paralyzing. There's another book, and I'm actually going to, going to paraphrase something out of that book because it sets a great example of breaking paradigms and breaking we've always done it this way and breaking I am not willing to give an inch. And it's from the book by Adam Grant called Think Again. And that is also a reference tool that we use quite often in approaching these very polarizing topics. We don't negotiate necessarily in organizations um, gun control issues, but we do help find solutions. We do mediate solutions on big problems, where we're going strategically, what are the most important and things like that. So when we approach a topic like this and we think we have all the answers, and again, gun control is just one example of this. What if we approach the topic with an open mind instead of driving another solution down, trying to the proverbial throat of everyone else? What if we were open to the possibility that maybe the way we've always thought of it, the way we've always looked at it, guns are the problem in every possible way in this case. We got rid of them. It never was one. We wouldn't have any more issues. There would never be enough. And Or you can't touch anything. Any regulation, any oversight at all is an infringement on, right? Not going to work, right? That's the way I believe and it's not going to change. This is out of the prologue of Think Again. And again, I, I'm going to kind of capsulate this, but this is from 1949. All right, and this is a this is a fire where uh, smoke jumpers landed near the top of of Man Gulch, and this is on a scorching August afternoon, again 1949. There's fire visible in the gulch, so the smoke jumpers parachute in, and their plans to dig a line. That's from 1949. It's kind of it, you know, you dig a line, soil, you got dirt. Hopefully, you can contain it. The fire won't jump it. So they hike in the uh, the form and Wagner Dodge. Uh, they realize that this fire is going to leap it. They're go it's going to leap this, this ditch that they're digging. And where the winds are blowing, it's going to come straight for them. These flames are reaching as high as 30 feet in the air. And it's going to be moving at them much faster, right? Uh, I, think, uh, I think he said that he was estimating it was moving two football fields in less than a minute. So they knew they were in deep, deep trouble. So they start running up the steep slope try to get to the top before the fire consumes them. And Wagner Dodge, who's been doing this for years, I think it was 30 years or something like that, realizes that they're not running this. And he stops. And he actually is lighting a fire. The grass around him, he's lighting a fire. And the other guys look at him like he's crazy. He asks him what he's doing. He's saying, hey, you know, trust me on this one. They don't trust him. They keep running. They just leave him like, oh, well, Foreman's lost his mind. And he starts a small fire. And that fire burns up the hill a little bit. Well, fire doesn't have anything more to burn, right? It's just grass, so it burns itself out. So he has this large area where there's nothing there. And then he lays down. He takes his, um, uh, his bottle of water 
puts it all over a towel and he puts the towel over and he just lays down on the ground. And the fire comes up, the fire flashes over, the fire keeps on going. Unfortunately, I think 12 of the fire jumpers were killed, or the uh, smoke jumpers were killed, and, and three, basically because of physical fitness, got to the top and survived. He survived as well. See, what he had done is he had decided, I cannot run this thing, so I'm gonna make an area, and this is by now common practice in, in a lot of uh, firefighting scenarios when you're fighting wildfires. He basically made an area where there was nothing for the fire to burn. So the fire didn't burn him because there was nothing to travel across. So it just went around him literally and over him and he survived. Now, what's the point of this? The point of this is he took all of his training. We've always done it this way. This happens, you do this. This happens, you do this. And he realized that the normal way of thinking wasn't gonna work. He had to suspend his way of thinking in this high conflict situation and he had to do something different. So he suspended everything. He had bias on, on, on you know, hey, you know, this, you have this, you have that. That's a bias, by the way, right? There's only, this is how I see things, and there's no other way to see it. If you remember some of our earlier programs where we talk about you always follow the procedure on a submarine until you don't, and that's because you can't anticipate every situation. We could apply that in our organizations more consistently. We can tackle any issue. But again, you can't do that if you don't successfully do two things that we started off talking about, right? There's two things you have to do. You have to use interdependent collaboration. In that case, there wasn't a lot of independent collaboration going on. We talk about the smoke jumpers, but in most situations, we are working together to come up with the best solution. And we're doing it interdependently. And if you remember with interdependence, that doesn't mean I'm talking with my pals. It talks with people that I need input from so that I can collaborate, so that I can come up with the best answer. And then the second one, of course, is you have to try to suspend those bias and your preconceived ideas, which Wayne Dodge did very, very well in that firefighting scenario. So how does this apply? All right. In gun control, negotiated number two, we talk about how independent collaboration and openness to solutions works. We also talked about that high conflict skills get you to a negotiated solution for gun safety. Let's switch over now to your organization. Take your biggest, ugliest problem and you're gonna have camps probably and you sit people around the table and people are entrenched because I know everything there is to know about sales and I don't need anyone else telling me how. I've been selling for 20 years. Well, you know what? That's great on sales, but that's only as good as the marketing. And yeah, well, you marketing guys, you guys and your sales guys, you promise everything, but you're not the ones that have to deliver the product and you're sitting around a table, right? And you can't come up with a solution. Everybody's dug in. There's no interdependent collaboration going on. There's nobody suspending the way they think and being open to maybe somebody else's view. So how do you do this? You leave egos aside, you suspend your knowledge and your expertise, and you listen first, and you talk second. This is what happens. The classic them, they, they're wrong. They don't understand. If you can go from that to us, which is what's going on in that room in your organization when you're trying to solve a problem, there's not seven different companies in that room, there's one. And you have a couple of key objectives you have to get to and you ain't getting there without all seven of those, let's call them verticals. And the way you're gonna get there most effectively is again, get rid of the ego, 
get rid of the bias, get rid of all that stuff. Now, the bias never goes away, right? Your preconceived notion doesn't go away. There's people in that room you don't like. There's things you feel very strongly about. There's people you respect more than others. But if you set all that aside and simply say, what is best for the organization? And you bring your ideas, but you listen first and speak second. And when you do that, through that interdependent collaboration lens and that, that lens of suspending bias, you've got a chance to really make progress. Even on something as crazily separating as gun control. We could actually get somewhere if we use this approach. You can certainly get there in your organization. A quick story, and then we're going to wrap up part one. We were hired uh, to go into a city, brand new city council, literally like everybody but one person on council was new, and they had a new mayor. And they were at war from day one because I ran on this platform, and I ran on that platform, and I got it right, and you're an idiot, and you don't know. And it was embarrassing to, say not th to also say the fact that they weren't getting anything done, obviously. And we were brought in to essentially mediate. And guess what we did? We were gonna figure out a way for these folks to be interdependent and collaborative. We were gonna figure out a way for them to suspend their bias on, you know, this is what I ran on, this is how I got elected. And we were gonna find what? Common ground. We were gonna find out common ground. You know what they told, told us in the morning of the first day? We have no common ground. There's not a single thing we can agree with. I'll just tell you that now. So have a nice day, no sense in coming back tomorrow. I, I, these were actual words of, of the council people, the mayor. Don't bother. You know, at the end of the second day, there were three things. 100% agreement, not because they were worn down, because they all actually agreed on these three things as three things they could focus on, three things they could fund, three things they could all speak to their constituents about, three things they could actually move on. And do you know what? A year and a half later, those three things, two of them are done. The other one is well on its way. Now, there's a million other things that they're still bickering about and things like that. But these are folks that said, we can't, we can't even agree on what your name is or what my name is. But when we use the lens of interdependent collaboration combined with, can we just suspend that we think we know all everything and listen a little bit? It's always funny when you say, you know, listen first and talk second. Well, if you have eight people in the room, doesn't somebody have to talk first? <laughs> the, the answer is yes. But you get the understanding of that, okay? That's part one. We're going to do part two of this to continue this discussion because it's a critically important one. But take away from this, even as something as divisive as gun control, there is a way to solve this. And there is a way to solve your most difficult problems in your organization, and it's through these two approaches. Thanks so much. We really appreciate you. If you like what you're doing here, please, please like us. Wherever you're listening, Spotify, you know, iTunes through through Apple uh, Podcasts or the other way around, whatever the heck it is. But please post reviews. If they're not five star, don't post anything. You know, go to another podcast and dump on them and invite a couple other people. We're blessed to have such huge growth in this podcast. Hopefully it's because we have a little fun, but we talk about real issues in the real world and how you can really use them to solve critical issues in your organization. This is Surfacing Inclusive Leadership. You can always go to our website, submarineway.com, to contact us if you want to learn more about us or how we might be able to help your organization. Um, you can also reach out to our founder, Deb Cake Fortin. She's all over uh, everything, but you can find her easily on LinkedIn and myself, John Gregory Vincent. Thanks again for being here. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for, um, you know what? Thanks again. 
And you all know, getting ready to cover your ears because I am out. Have a good one.